All right, welcome to HMP 401. This will be our first lecture. And this, remember, these lectures will tie into our textbook. So you should be reading the textbook along with the lectures. The lectures are meant to be a supplement to the textbook and are not meant to replace uh, the textbook. So you'll be responsible for materials in both. Um, for those of you who are not um, are listening but not participating in the class, uh, we are using She and Sing. I'll put a, a link in the notes so that you can acquire the book if you want to follow along. All right, so chapter one, just the introductory materials here. We're thinking about broadly, what are, you know, why are we studying the US healthcare system? So first of all, uh, how much we spend on healthcare has been growing exponentially since the 60s. Um, so in the 60s, we spent almost nothing, relatively speaking, on healthcare in the United States. And uh, today, or well, in, in 2020, we spent about 4.2 trillion dollars on healthcare. And that number is, is a crazy huge number. And what I want to do is put that in perspective uh, uh, and say, okay, what does that mean? Well, uh, uh, it, framing it as a percentage of GDP, which is the gross domestic product, or you can think of it as all of the money that was made from making things and selling things in the United States um, it was about $20 trillion back in 2020. And we spent about almost 20%, about 18% um, of our GDP. So of all the money made in the United States, about 18% of it was spent on healthcare. So that means that's basically like 20 cents on every dollar um, that's created in the United States is being spent on healthcare. So that's a good reason to, to study it. Um, we also need to think about major programs, Medicare and Medicaid, which we'll talk a lot more about as we go through the through the course, but these are federal and federal state um, programs and how much we're spending on those. So Medicare, just getting our, uh, our, our terminology here, is primarily a service for the elderly and the disabled. Medicaid is a poverty program um, meant for people who can't afford uh, healthcare for various reasons. And there's some changes in the program over the years. Um, and then you can have what we call dual eligibles, which are people who qualify for Medicare and Medicaid because of their, um, uh, uh, of their socioeconomic status. So you can have a poor elderly person who qualifies for both Medicare and Medicaid. So those are called dual eligibles. And we created um, Medicare back in the early 60s. Medicare and Medicaid were created back in the early 60s. And back when they were first created, we were spending almost nothing on them. And in 2020, we spent 1.5 trillion on them again. So, um, you know, we're, we are spending massive amounts of resources uh, on healthcare, the provision of healthcare, and Medicare and Medicaid being taxpayer-funded programs, that means you're paying for those. So when we look at Medicare and Medicaid as a percentage of the federal, uh, as a percentage of federal expenditures, you can see again, we started the program back here, so nothing was spent on it then. And it has gradually um, progressed to over a third of the federal government. So when you look at how much, you know, all of the money that the federal government spends, it currently spends about a third of 
all of the money that the federal government spends is spent on Medicare and Medicaid. So the challenge here is if I'm if if the federal government is spending a third of its budget on Medicare and Medicaid, what is it not buying? And so we could this is a a, a term for this is called crowding out. Um, and so if we're going to spend a third of the budget on Medicare and Medicaid, that means we're not buying something else. And that something else could be a whole variety of things that we are good, right? Like schools, parks, um, funding research, and so forth that we're not going to be able to afford because we're spending so much money on Medicare and Medicaid. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, right? Healthcare is a good, but so are schools, so is research, so are parks, right? National defense, all those things, they're all good, but we have a limited amount of resources. And as we spend, as we commit ourselves to spending more on healthcare, um, we have to therefore sacrifice something else. So the question to you, as we go through this is, what would you be willing to give up? So, Let's think about the U.S. healthcare system. Um, the U.S. healthcare workforce is over 16.4 million people. So think about that. Millions of people get their earn their living working and provide in the healthcare system and providing healthcare uh, in various capacities. Almost a million active MDs, um, about uh, 70,000 DOs, which are doctors of osteopathy, which is is. You may not, depending on where you're from in the United States, you may or may not be familiar with the uh, doctor of osteopathy, but there's a pretty good chance you've been treated by one because they're quite common and they are physicians. Right? So there's really no difference. There's no fundamental difference today between a DO and an MD. So you wouldn't even know. You'd go into a hospital and you might be treated by somebody and you wouldn't even know uh, that you're being treated by a DO uh, because there is no fundamental difference. Uh, and we will talk about some of the some of the historical differences. Uh, we've all seen nurses, two point six million nurses. There's a you know um, almost six thousand hospitals and and so on. So you get the idea. There's a lot of people working in this, and there's a lot of organizations helping to provide that. Our book talks a lot about the healthcare system, and um, what do we mean when we say? Uh, that we have a system. And our book keeps talking about it. And I, so I like this from The Princess Bride. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Um, so I take, I'm going to come out right up front here. I'm, I'm going to take some issue with our book uh, throughout this course of the lecture. So those of you who are in the class uh, uh, listening, you'll hear me kind of uh, reference the book. And uh, at some points, I'm going to take issue with uh, the way that the authors uh, approach it because the authors tend to think of a system uh, as something like uh, uh, they think of the health system and um, political systems. In my opinion, they think of them as sort of a mechanical system like this. Um, you know, this is so, so this would be called a complicated system. It's mechanical. You can see it. It's really, there's a lot going on there, right? But if you um, have enough time and enough skill, you could make that system work, right? You can make all these cogs turn at the same time and everything works just right in perfect precision. Um, and so if you have a view of human society as like a watch, then you just be, the policymaker becomes a mechanic who 
tweaks this knob here and tweaks that cog there. And pretty soon everything is firing and moving in just the right way. Um, and if, and with enough time um, and enough resources, you can make this thing do what you want to do. And the interesting thing is the clock doesn't push back. If you change, uh, you know, if you want to go in there and tweak, you know, some part of the system, the clock doesn't push back when, and change in response to what you're doing. It just sits there. It's inert. It's waiting for the mechanic to, um, to tweak. So that's one view of a system. And I think this is the view that is supported by uh, the authors of our textbook. And I think this is the view that is supported by those people who are fans of central planning. The view of system that that I have, um, particularly of human systems, so social systems, social organization, is that it's rather than being complicated, it's complex, right? And so what do we mean by complex as opposed to complicated? Because certainly that's complex, right? Um, but we there's a fine difference here. Complex means uh, that the system is organic, that it changes, that it's evolving, Um and so I like to think of a school of fish as a complex system. Each of these fish is pursuing his or her uh, own ends, right? They're out there trying to get some food and not get eaten and not be the food for somebody else, right? And so um, you can't you can't direct a school of fish. Uh, you can kind of influence it. Um, but each of the fish is going to see what you're trying to do. And then the fish are going to respond to what you are trying to do. And they're going to respond by pursuing their own interests and their own needs. Um, and they're going to change and, and they're going to change in ways that are extremely difficult to predict. And they're going to change not only in response to you, but they're going to change with respect to what the other fish are doing. Right. So, um, so that's why, and that's just fish, right? Not very intelligent beings um, take human beings who are capable of uh, thinking far out into the future. Sometimes they don't think that far out into the future, but capable of making plans and thinking far out to the future and, in, and imputing what you are trying to do. And pretty soon they start gaming the system, right? So systems right? Human systems are not like clocks because if it, the system is made up of humans, right? A human system, like a healthcare system is made up of human beings all pursuing their own ends, not inert pieces of metal, right? So when you try to manipulate a human, the human, you know, reacts, um, Whereas a piece of inert metal is just going to sit there and let you do what uh, what you want to do with it. Um, so complex systems tend to be are best thought of as organic, right? And constantly changing, and they respond to changes in the environment and to changes any changes in manipulation. So when we talk about a system, a human system, it's better to think of it as a school of fish than as a clock. Um, Right. So the U.S. healthcare delivery, uh, U.S. healthcare delivery or health services delivery system, broadly defined, right? We have some major components uh, of the system and the processes that enable people to receive healthcare. So um, a restricted definition is the 
act of providing healthcare to patients. So we think of direct care um, as the provision of care, but we're going to talk about a much broader, um, uh, a much broader sense of healthcare and healthcare delivery and the creation of health uh, throughout this course. Now, um, people who talk about health policy uh, see. Um, healthcare as like one of the essential goods. And it is, right? We 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 need health and healthcare in order to survive. So health, the objectives of a health system, of course, are to enable all citizens uh, to receive the healthcare services that they need and to deliver those services at cost effective, uh, in a cost-effective manner and meet um high quality standards of quality. So you'll we'll come back to the iron triangle of healthcare later on uh, in this course, but cost, quality, and access are the three um, things that we're just talking about right here. Can you get access to care when you need it? Uh, can you get it at a reasonable cost? And is it high quality? We'll talk later about how people, you know, people who are health who are involved in healthcare tend to prioritize healthcare over everything else, right? Um, and if they're if they are um, uh, involved in in health policy, they'll tend to make healthcare a priority over, say, schooling or other goods. But you know, in the end, there's no free lunch. Um, what are you going to be willing to give up? Are you willing to give up policing? Are you willing to give up public spaces? Are you willing to give up education in order to get more? money and resources to fund healthcare. So part of the problem, part of the challenge of a health system is it is embedded in a larger system of well-being uh, that all of the services that we want and need to have a functioning society. So healthcare is just one part of a larger system of well-being in the United States and, and, and everywhere. So the U.S. healthcare system, right? It's unique. It's not a system in the sense that it's not centrally planned. Um, and so your book is very much like, "Hey, the U.S. doesn't have a healthcare system." I, I beg to differ. It, it does. It's just not a centrally planned health system. Um, you know, and so in that sense, you know, it's not a health system in a centrally planned sense because there are no universal healthcare. There's no universal healthcare provided by the government, financed by taxes. There's no entitlement to healthcare in the United States, right? The United States, you know, there are some people who believe health care is a human right. Um, in the United States, we do not have that uh, in our constitution. We have a right to a whole bunch of other things: right to free speech, right to um, uh, be free of. Uh, 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 the government coming into our homes without a warrant, uh, the right to be, you know, uh, 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 be basically be left alone. That's a big part of being an American is the right to be left alone. But what we don't have is an entitlement to healthcare. We don't have, you know, um, uh, we don't have an entitlement necessarily to income and so on. So no other country quite has that level of, you know, leave me aloneness that the United States has. Um, and that comes from our, you know, our historical origin stories um, that we tell ourselves, but, uh, and we'll talk more about that in later chapters. Um, we have some serious dysfunction in terms of cost, access, and quality, um, in part because of that. Right? Other countries have more government involvement 
or in organizing healthcare as a system. So let's talk a little bit about that very quickly, because I think it's important for you to understand. So when I think about the macro organization of society, and specifically the macro organization of the healthcare, the provision of healthcare in a country, we can kind of think of it as on a spectrum between a socialized um, system and a free market system. So a socialized system, what we mean by a socialized system is it's centrally planned. Um, a, some government agent right, or agency organizes uh, access, cost, quality, and access. It organizes the system. So on the far extreme, um, and the UK, right, Great Britain, uh, is pretty far uh, toward for its for its healthcare uh, delivery system is pretty highly socialized, right? They have a national health service that provides, and I'm going to use scare quotes here that you can't see, free uh, healthcare uh, to all UK citizens. Um, it is a centrally planned organization, so there's a you know a, a bureaucrat sitting there making plans about where resources should be, what kind of healthcare everyone is entitled to, uh, and so on. So it's centrally planned. It is government, meaning taxpayer funded, right? Because the government doesn't actually have any money. The government has money because it collects taxes and it's government run. So hospitals in the UK are owned and operated by the by the British government. On the opposite end, and so the UK is you know, not a pure socialized system. So I'm not saying that, but it's pretty far towards socialized. On the other extreme, you have the free market approach um, where services uh, emerge through competition. So in the United States, um, hospitals, for the most part, are privately owned and privately operated, whether they're for-profit or not-for-profit, they're private. They're not, meaning they're not owned and operated by the government. There are some that are owned and operated by the government. We'll talk more about that later. Um, but for the most part, healthcare services are, are delivered in a somewhat competitive market. They are privately, for the most part, privately funded, meaning meaning individuals pay for uh, healthcare uh, and um, the services are privately provided, they're privately run. Um, so, you know, here in the seacoast, we have a number of, <clears throat> a number of hospitals, some of which are for-profit and some of which are uh, non-for-profit, but they are, uh, they have a board of directors and they are privately run. Um, now the U.S., you can see, I haven't put the U.S. system all the way to the right. Why is that? Well, because we have a huge amount of government planning that goes into uh, the U.S. healthcare system. So our book, I think, erroneously alludes as if the U.S. is way over here to the right and really not true. Um, so when I say privately, so part of the reason like the U.S. to the left is to the left here is when I talk about, say, privately funded, over half of revenue from most hospitals today comes from Medicare and Medicaid, which is a government uh, taxpayer-funded health insurance program. So it's mostly not, right? So the typical hospital, most of its revenue doesn't come from private, private, private sector insurers. Over half of their income comes from uh, government-funded uh, uh, programs like Medicare and Medicaid. So that's why I put the U.S. farther to the right, but still, um, still, qu there's quite a bit of government planning and government 
interest and influence on the delivery of healthcare in the United States. So one of the things to think about, um, another thing to think about uh, with the United States in particular is how big the United States is. So here's some of the, so this was the top, the 20 lar- uh, 22 largest uh, countries in the world. And I wanted to include the United Kingdom on there because our book talks so fondly about the UK system. Um, uh, and I want to make a point here uh, about, you know, about the number of people, right? So we have China with say almost 1.4 billion people, India with a you know, almost 1.4 billion. And and this was in 2019. So uh, my understanding is India is is set to pass China actually in population in part because China's population is starting to shrink and India's is still growing. But be that as it may, the top two are still China and India, whether which one is number one, as I I talk to you today is kind of uh, up in the air. and the number three being the United States at a fraction of China and India, but still uh, a multiple of, you know, Great Britain, which again are um, are the United Kingdom, which our uh, book is again so fond of in term because they so admire the National Health Service. Here's what I want to make a point of: Imagine that you are planning a vacation, right, and you're going to go with some friends. And imagine that you have, let's go down here. Imagine you're Sweden and you have 10 friends that you're planning uh, a vacation for. Planning a vacation with 10 friends would be really hard. I mean, think about that. Like how many times do you plan a vacation with say like two or three friends? And now, now you're trying to figure out what does you know Susie want and what does Bobby want and what do you want, right? And um, you know, now make that into 10 people. That's a that's a crew, right? That's a crew that you're you're starting to try to f- figure out. What are the interests? What are the minimum desired needs to make everybody willing to go and and not be like, hey, I'm you know what you're planning is just not going to be fun and I'm just I'm out right. Um, and on the other hand, make everybody happy. Well, if you've got ten friends, that's pretty complicated, right? So ten friends, or in this case, ten million friends, right? Now take that up to the scale of the United Kingdom. Well, now you're talking about sixty six friends. The difference between planning something for ten friends and sixty six friends is enormous, right? Um, that's just going to, you're going to have to have committees and you're going to have to, you know, think all through all kinds of stuff. Now take that to five times bigger to the United States. And you can kind of quickly see, oh, that's a, you know, that's really hard. Um, you know, the United States, you know, and we see a lot of commentators will say things like the United States is the only, um, uh, uh, developed nation that doesn't have a, a national health service of some sort. Yep. Um, but we're also like, you know, five times as big as Great Britain. We're 32 times the size of Sweden. So the Sweden is the size of Massachusetts, right? Um, so if you had if you were trying to build a national health service or develop some sort of central plan um for to meet the needs of your country, it's a heck of a lot easier if your country is the size of a state rather than the third largest country in the world, which is the United States, right? So when we talk about central planning and anything that's going to be centrally planned, you have to remember that the challenge of planning anything increases exponentially with the number of 
um, people that are involved. So imagine going and, and just hold that in your mind. Um, imagine trying to make a plan um, for a vacation with, say, three friends or 10 friends versus 60 friends versus 330 friends versus 1400 friends, right? And there's a reason why China and India don't have a national health service and they have very little national health policy uh, is because it's so hard to meet the needs and desires of, of larger and larger populations. So when you have these tiny European countries and um, people who are fond of central planning look across the ocean from the United States and say, oh, Sweden does such a great job. Um, yeah, that's because they're 132nd the size of the United States. They are the size of one state, right? So much easier to have a health policy if you're the size of Massachusetts for your entire country than um, if you are the size of the United States. So uh, the U.S. healthcare system... Um, so one of the questions we'll be asking is, should the federal, state, and local governments have a larger role in organizing the U.S. healthcare system? Um, what other U.S. industries are as regulated as the uh, U.S. healthcare system and work better because of it? Well, um, there are relatively few uh, um, systems, right, in the United States that run that are more regulated as a result excuse me, are more regulated than healthcare. Basically, banking and financial services are the only, is the only other, uh, you know, and maybe say the nuclear power industry. Those are probably industries that um, uh, run, uh, that have more federal regulation, more state regulation um, uh, than the healthcare sector does in the United States. So the question to you would be, does it run better? Well, those of you who were hanging around in 2008 saw the Great Recession uh, and how poorly that's run. Um, those of you who've been living in, you know, been alive in the last couple of years and seen how um, uh, how government um, poured trillions of dollars into the economy and has now caused a massive inflation, um, you know, does the federal health federal do do central planners actually make things better? Um, I'm going to argue no, uh, and uh, and you'll hear me argue that throughout this course. So a counterpoint to your book, which is very fond of central planning. So let's talk a little bit about health insurance. Um, so this is uh, measures of 2021. You can see down here that you can get this PDF. Um, so this is looking back from 2022. Um, so in the United States. Uh, how many people were had health insurance? Well, about 92%, about 8% were uninsured. Um, who's uninsured? It really depends. Um, they, so these are people, so any insurance includes Medicaid and Medicare. Um, so we do have some people who probably would qualify for Medicaid, but are homeless, mentally ill, and not capable of, basically not capable of filling out the paperwork. So there's that piece. Um so most people in the United States are, are do have health, health insurance. Now, we'll come back to that later, but health insurance is not the same thing as having access to health care. Some providers don't take um, uh, Medicaid. They just tell you we, we're not, we're closed to new Medicaid uh, patients. So a lot of physician practices, if you show up and you're like, hey, I'd like, uh, you know, I'd like to get care from your doctor and the practice manager will be like, oh, that sounds great. What's your insurance? And you say Medicaid and they say, sorry, you know, go find somebody else. Um, 
Now, that's a huge improvement since the ACA, since Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, we'll call that Obamacare. Uh, you know, if you if you listen to former President Obama talk, uh, he will he will happily take the um, take happily takes on uh, the ACA as Obamacare. He's very proud of that uh, program. So we will go. I'll bounce back and forth and calling it Obamacare or the ACA, the Affordable Care Act. Um, but it one one positive thing that came out of the Affordable Care Act is before 2014, this number was about 16%. So the ACA has successfully cut the uninsured percent from about 16% to about 8%. So it's cut it in half. So that's good. That's a good outcome. Um, so let's break down, you know, of the people who have insurance, um, uh, uh, where do they get their insurance? Well, um, 66% of the people who have insurance uh, get it from some sort of private plan. Um, you have then you have uh, employment based. So most people who have private insurance, it's from their employer, and we'll talk about why that is. Because in in a lot of other countries, uh, health insurance is not connected to your employer, but in the United States, that's the most common. If you're not on a public program like uh, Medicare or Medicaid. Uh, you are most likely getting your insurance from an employer. Uh, some people purchase their insu their their insurance directly. Um, so the, a lot of people who are entrepreneurs who are not. Um, uh, so I have a friend who's a photographer, for example. He buys his his insurance directly uh, because he doesn't have an employer. Right, he's a solo practitioner, and he just buys his insurance directly. Uh, the marketplace, which is a uh, a reference to the uh, Affordable Care Act, uh, required the creation of state marketplaces for uh, for health insurance. Um, so, some small fraction of people buy uh, their health insurance through the marketplace. Tricare is a military is is the military healthcare system. Um, so I'm a retired uh, army officer and um, uh, uh, and I qualify for TRICARE. So what this is, and we'll talk more about this later on, but what this is, is um, if you are active duty, so if you're in the service or if you're retired, you are entitled to healthcare um, from the military health system. But in many cases, um, wherever you are. So for example, I was stationed in, in a, at a small, uh, 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 sorry, I was stationed at Fort Polk, Louisiana once. So out in rural Louisiana at a fairly large, um, uh, training base, but we had, uh, and I was working at the hospital there. The hospital was basically a small community hospital. So we didn't have a lot of specialties, uh, we really just had basic community medicine um, uh, at at that facility. So if someone had needed you know, urology care, for example, or needed um, uh, oncology care, we had to send them out. We didn't have an oncologist on staff. So we had to send them out uh, to uh, to the private sector and try care when we sent someone out because we didn't have... Uh, the healthcare available through the military health system, we use TRICARE to buy the healthcare from the private sector. So there were hospitals and providers in the in the general vicinity where we would refer people to, and they would get their healthcare uh, through TRICARE, and TRICARE would pay the providers for that. 
Um, so then thinking about, so that's private plans. So this cluster is private plans. Um, the Then about a little more than a third of Americans who have health insurance have it through some other public plan. So Medicare, Medicaid, VA, and CHAMP VA. Um, so these are entitlement plans. Um, and you could argue, why, not, why isn't TRICARE down here? It's a public plan. TRICARE is technically a employer driven plan. The reason that I have that is because I was employed by the army uh, at the time, right? The VA, the difference between the Veterans Administration, VA services and CHAMP VA is um, part of that. Um, the Veterans Administration services you get after you're out of the military. So if you are injured um, in the line of duty, so if you um, are a para, you know, parachuting for the army, um, for example, um, you know, and you're, you have an accident and you break your, um, you know, you, uh, break your leg or you, heaven forbid, you break your back, which happens, um, and you can no longer serve in the military, then the, um, you get discharged from the military, um, probably medically retired if you're that seriously injured and the VA picks up your care after that. So then it's a, um, so now it's not a employment based plan. It is a, um, uh, it is an entitlement. Um, you know, I'm splitting hairs a little bit, uh, because I think you could kind of slide that back. You could slide the VA back up because the only reason you have access to the VA is because of your, uh, prior service, but we be that as it may, um, the census, so this is this data is from the US Census Bureau. They've lumped it in here as a public plan. So we'll just leave it there. Uh, but um uh eighteen percent of people get Medicare, you know, eight, almost nineteen percent get Medicaid. So about a third of Americans get their get their health insurance from a um pub from the public sector. Most Americans get their health insurance from the private sector and uh, the bulk of the of Americans get it based on employment, which creates its own problems. All right. So the US healthcare system, what's great about it? Well, it leads the world in medical technology, right? We've got the best, coolest technology and most medical technology is created in the United States and then um, diffuses, meaning it gets picked up eventually uh, by the developed world. So eventually it gets picked up in Europe and then and then gradually through to other parts of the world. We have the best medical training in the world, right? Um, and, and people come to the United States to get their medical training. Once upon a time, Europe was the best medical training, but the United States has the best medical training for decades. Uh, we have the best and most sophisticated research. We have them, uh, right? So because we have that free market where people can make money um, based on the work that they do, uh, we have the best research. Um, and then we have the most sophisticated institutions, the most sophisticated products, and the most sophisticated processes. So there's there are challenges. By no means am I saying that, that we don't have our problems. Uh, cost is high in the United States. Access is not perfect in the United States. Quality is uh, variable in the United States. But we've got a lot going on. When some, if if you get sick and you live someplace else in the world, you're most likely going to. If you're wealthy, 
you're most likely going to be thinking, I need to get to the United States, right? You're not thinking, you know where I need to go? Great Britain. Uh, no, you're, you're, you're looking, you're coming to the United States if you can. Um, and many of our large systems, so like Mass General Brigham, the Brig, Brigham, uh, Mass General Brigham system down in Boston, um, uh, uh, the Cleveland Clinic, the Mayo Clinic, uh, uh, these are all big names that are have huge uh, international reputations and wealthy people from all around the world come to those places to get their health care because we've got the best care in the world, right? The problem is it's expensive um, and it's not necessarily easy to access uh, for everybody. So we'll talk more about those challenges, but I want to really highlight just like how incredible the U.S. healthcare system is. So in this text, we're going to use a quad quad function model to kind of talk about the components of healthcare delivery. Um, we'll talk a lot more about this, so I'm going to skim through this pretty quickly. Um, but uh, it's got four sections: financing. You know, where do we get the money to buy the insurance or to pay for healthcare? Do we get it? You know, do we earn it ourselves? Does it come from our employer? Does it come from uh, taxpayer taxes collected by the government? Insurance, and I'm going to talk about it, what insurance really means because health insurance, as we know it, is not really insurance. Um, but true insurance, pure insurance, is meant to protect against catastrophic risk, right? Um, and uh, it determines what you are eligible to receive. Uh, then we talk, so we talk about where does the money come from? How do we get insurance to pay for catastrophic risk? We'll talk about delivery right? Um, what kind of provider provides the care uh, and receives in either insurance payments or, or payment directly? And then finally, the payment process. Uh, how, does, how do providers get reimbursed? Do they get it direct? Do they get it from an insurance company? Do they get it from a patient? Do they get it from the government? Uh, and we'll look at all that stuff. So we're going to look at it in more detail. We'll talk. Uh, we're going to talk about some different kinds of systems. So, um, a national health system is the. Uh, uh, so that we'll talk about. You know, uh, we'll talk about three systems that are kind of far to the left. Right, the farthest to the left on that scale, right towards a centrally planned system, is a national health system. So this is the system that is run by um, the British government in the UK, the United Kingdom, right is it's it's tax supported so the financing comes from taxes the government manages the infrastructure for delivery right so you're getting um you're getting healthcare at a government facility by doctors who are government employees right so the government provides the delivery um you finance it through the taxes you pay you get it delivered by the government there are no there is no insurance in that sense um because um, and there are no payment systems because you just show up and get the care. A lot of other European countries, so this is the German model, for example, is a national health insurance um, system. Excuse me. This is the Canadian system. So national health insurance is the Canadian system. This is where um, the financing is done by the government. Um, so if you are a uh, if you get your care in Canada, um, you don't you 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 don't have insurance per se um, because your care is uh, is funded by the government. So it's the the healthcare is 
is paid for through taxes you pay to the government. Um, the government acts as the insurance provider and pays um, the uh, and and operates the provision of care. But the the providers of care are actually private um, private providers. So you'd have a, your your doctor is not an employee of the Canadian government. Um, but in if you are seeing a so if you're in Quebec, right, your provider is not a, a government employee. But if you're in London, right, your provider is going to be a um, employee of the government. Um, so the difference is um, primarily uh, the insurance function um, and payment function uh, in a national health insurance program. Uh, the government steps in and acts as the insurance and payment. Um, as well as you know financing, but delivery is from the private sector. Now, this is the German system, uh, national and social insurance system. So in in Germany, um, you the government doesn't collect the money, uh, doesn't collect money from uh, from you through taxes. They require you to buy health insurance. So this is the mandate that we were trying to create in the United States through the ACA. So, but the difference is we have these re in, in say Germany, we have these regional nonprofits that have a monopoly uh, on providing health insurance. Um, and so the, so individuals and employers are required to buy health insurance through these regional uh, monopoly nonprofit insurers and then those insurers um, uh, pay for healthcare, but the healthcare is delivered by private by, the, by private sector providers. So, in Germany now, as opposed to say Canada, right? So we start with London. Excuse me, with with Great Britain. So if you're in London, the government funds your care through your taxes. Your provider is a government employee, and there is no insurance or or payment system. If you're in Canada, the there's no the government collects taxes from you and provides you insurance through the government, um, and then but care is provided by private sector employees. In Germany, there is an insurance mandate, so the government doesn't fund it through taxes; it's private sector financing, but it's a mandate that you have to buy this insurance, um, and then. Uh, uh, but then the provision of care is is also private. Um, so there are some different flavors. And then in the United States, it, we don't have a national system as we already talked about. All right. Um, so that concludes the first lecture um, for a uh, first introductory lecture. And we will dive into more details in our in chapter two.